Amen. We serve a good God. Amen. I said we serve a good God. Amen. Amen. He woke you up this morning and brought you into the house of the Lord. We serve a good, good God. And uh, I'm thankful to serve a God that loves me. Sometimes we serve people and we try to do things for people that they can't do much for us in return. And that is love. But it feels good to have somebody just love us back. And sometimes when you don't feel like there's any kind of love in the world, I can always promise you that God will love you. And God's love is never ending, never failing. And, uh, oh, there we go. I read something this morning on Facebook. And, uh, and, and it said, and I may be off a little bit, but it said the Lord has woke me up every day of my life. That's what I call loyalty. Come on, I, that's what I call loyalty. I, I stopped for a minute and I said, woo, go on and preach, girl. That was good. The Lord has woke me up every day of my life. He brought you here today. We serve a good and faithful God. Amen, amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord today. And uh, I did want to uh, take a little more time and um, tell you about what's happening this weekend. Um, some have asked you, so you, some of you have asked, well, what is this youth retreat or, or midwinter youth thing that's happening this week? We have another youth group from the Apostolic Church of Auburn Hills, uh, Pastor Steve Warman. Many of you remember Pastor Warman. He's been here to speak for us several times. Um, their youth is going to be coming here for their youth retreat this weekend. And, uh, and I know Eric said, if you'd love to come, we want everyone to come. It's going to be a good time. It'll be a great time. However, some of you may not want to come Friday night. Friday night service starts at 9 o'clock. I know, some of you, I think I said everything that I just heard over there. Uh-oh, woo, and <laughs> I said the same thing. And uh, they've got this crazy youth pastor over there named Jordan Hopper, and uh, he just happens to be my brother, and I've got to show up to support him. But uh, if you are up and you've got nothing else to do, come, and come to church on Friday night at 9 o'clock. Uh, it'll be a good time. Now, I'm going to warn you, though. This isn't going to be normal Sunday Apostolic Lighthouse Church, okay? They've got lights that they're going to be have. They're going to be moving lights here and there. It's going to be a good time, but it's not going to be as a normal Sunday as some of us are used to. So I'll warn you that Friday night, Saturday, uh, and then Sunday morning, they're going to be in service with us. And Sunday morning is going to be a normal Sunday service, so don't anybody stay home because you're thinking, well, I'm not going if it's not going to be. It's going to be Sunday service. But they're going to be leading us in worship, their praise team. Uh, my brother will be preaching. And, uh, and God is going to move if you'll let him. God is going to move. It. Some of y'all don't want to let God move because you don't like the way things are in church if it's not the way you've always liked it. Uh-oh. Pastor, back out of that. Back out. Don't, don't talk about that. Don't get me uncomfortable. No. God will move if you let him. But some of y'all come into this house. I'm going to be ready to preach on this for a moment. This ain't what I'm preaching today. But some of y'all will come in and it's not the way you like it. You'll sit there with your arms crossed. And you won't move a bit. And then you complain about, I ain't getting fed here. I ain't getting nothing done. Boy, can you tell that pastor's on a rampage this morning, Sister Connie? I didn't have my Wheaties this morning, so I'm not in a good mood right now. No, I'm not in a good mood because the devil's been trying to infiltrate this church. That, come on, Sister Connie, you're with me. I'm saying if you will let God move, God will move and do something for you. God will do something for you. So it's going to be a great time next week. You don't want to miss. It's going to be a good time. 
And, uh, and, and they're bringing about 60 to 70 kids. It's gonna, so those of you that sit up here in the front, y'all better get here early to get your seats. Because there, I mean, I don't, I'm not, no problem if y'all want to tailgate out here before service. There was people tailgating for a Super Bowl tonight. They were tailgating yesterday. So if y'all want to tailgate for church next Sunday morning, y'all want to get here early with, with, when Brother Kyle and Brother Eric and I get here about 6, 5 o'clock in the morning, y'all are welcome to come with us. But, uh, but they're going to be here. It's going to be a great time. You don't want to miss out on that. And uh, going to be a wonderful time. I wanted to give you an update on Sister Casey. She is doing much better uh, than she has been doing. She has now been moved. I think we told you last week. She's been moved to a rehab facility uh, in South Haven. She is a loud guest. Uh, now, don't everybody go at once, okay? That room ain't big enough, all right? Uh, you can reach out to us and let us know. If you'd like to go visit, we'll make sure uh, that, that you're able to go. And uh, all they ask is that we just check in and we wear a mask. Um, but Sister Casey is doing well. If you have a card uh, that you'd like to send or if you want to send some flowers, I know that would cheer her up and uh, she would be appreciative of that. Um, you can get with Brother Ken, myself. We'll get you that information uh, of where to send that. But, um, but Sister Casey is doing so much better and we thank God for that. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you remember what we talked about last week? We talked about the call of passion. Three of you remembered. All right. For everybody else, the call of passion. And I felt like this week I wanted to just continue that. Can y'all tell I'm a little passionate this morning? I'm a little passionate this morning. I want to continue the call of passion for God. We said last week, and, I, and, and they're not even going to put it up. I, I told them they don't have... Well, I didn't tell them. I'm telling you now. You don't have to put it up. But Ecclesiastes 9 and 7, the, the message version, the first two words of it, I just want to say that. Seize life. Seize life. We are called to seize life. And today our main scripture will be from Ephesians uh, 3 and 14 and 9. And Well, one of our verses of scripture will be from Ephesians 3 and 14. And the Bible says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. I don't think we can ever grasp how long, how wide, and how deep is the love of Christ. But Paul is telling us here, he said, I hope that you can grasp it. And to know that this love surpasses knowledge, you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now Paul was praying here that the members of this church of Ephesus, the church of Ephesians, church of Ephesus, might be consumed with a passion for Christ. And I love passion. I love passionate people. Passionate people just motivate me. Passionate people. I spent some time yesterday with my brother and, and listening to what he is doing in their youth group and listening to what they're doing in their church it gave me just some encouragement. And he didn't even know he was doing it, but it encouraged me to say, hey, I, we can do that at our church. That's something we can, well, we can't do that, but we can do this. Man, I'm excited for this. I'm excited for that. Passionate people excite me. Passionate people. When you worship passionately, it excites me up here. It excites the praise team. When you passionately give yourself to God, passionately. And speaking of passion, I love the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is an amazing book that David wrote. And, uh, and this psalm that was written by David... Did, now, David was Israel's worshiping shepherd. 
And David was Israel's king at one point. And he wrote this, and uh, he wrote in the, in the 27th chapter, he said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Who shall I be afraid of? When the wicked came against me to eat up of my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. One thing that I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He shall hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle, He shall hide me. And He shall set me high up on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies that are all around me. And therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in His tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Anybody feel that way when you come into this house? There's times that you can come in here all beaten up and all broken down and the world has just been awful to you. And when you come in and you can sacrifice yourself for the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. You will leave here feeling way better than the way that you came in. You don't have to leave the same way that you came in. Some of you will say, well, I had a good week this week and I'm coming in with joy. Well, that's awesome. Leave with more joy. Take that joy and give it to someone else. Encourage someone else. Edify one another. This word passion in a Latin word, it actually means suffering. And over time, people have forgotten the meaning of it. And, and they think of it now as a romantic interest or a strong feeling about something. Now, I'm going to disagree with Eric this morning when he said, Gentlemen, don't go out and get your wife anything tomorrow for Valentine's Day. He's an idiot. Don't listen to him. Because any, any husband that's got any sense, you better get your wife something. Even if it's a cup of coffee in the morning, get her something, Eric, for Valentine's Day, okay? It's the one day of the year that you have to do it. Don't mess it up. Well, two days. Her birthday works too. What's that? Oh, anniversary. Three times. Yes. Any more? And Mother's Day, if you're a mother. There's four of them. Any more? I think we're good. But, yo, know, do something. Take some passion for your marriage. Take some passion for your loved one. But many people have taken that word and they said, oh, it's passion. It's just a romantic thing. But it's so much more than that. The true definition of passion is to want something so badly that it hurts. People who want something bad enough will not be denied. They will continue believing long after the others have quit and given up. People with passion have breakthroughs, whether it concerns their finances, their family, their ministry, or their spiritual issues. Passion moves God. And I believe that God is urging us this year. He is urging the lighthouse this year to move into a spirit of passion for this city, for this community for this county, for our state, for our nation, for our world. We are to move with passion. And I'll tell you, you have more passion in your life than you realize. Just, just let something go wrong in your life, and all of a sudden you're going to do everything you can to make it right. You have passion. You'll realize that you really do have passion. 
And you may say, well, well I, don't, I, don't, I don't know where that's at. I, when things go wrong in my life, I just I, I let it happen. I don't know. You have a hobby? Well, yeah, I have a hobby. I love to fish. I love to hunt. I love to drive my car. I love to ride my bike. I love. You have a passion. Sometimes you just don't even realize it. We can have a passion for many things, but the greatest should be reserved for God. We have allowed society to affect our feelings about what's really important. It's okay to have a passion about anything but God. If you go to Amazon, you will find hundreds of book titles using the word passion. These are some of just a few. A passion for birds. A passion for books. A passion for cactus. A passion, one of my favorites, for chocolate. A passion for fashion. A passion for fishing, for flying, for gardening, for golf, for hunting. A passion for mushrooms. A passion for needlepoint. Pasta. That's another good one. Passion for ponies. A passion for potatoes. A passion for roses. A passion for shoes. And a passion for steam. Steam? Did you just say steam? Yes. There is a book on Amazon that is a passion for steam. And it's every which way that you can make steam. Every invention that's ever been made that uses steam, it's out there. There's passion for everything and there's a book just for about it. In our American culture, it's okay to be passionate about everything except your faith or your relationship with God. If I attend a concert, a political rally, a football game tonight, I can shout until I lose my voice because I'm excited to be there. I'll be honest with you, tonight... I'll probably be shouting a lot. I'll probably be jumping a lot. Probably a lot more than I did this morning. And shame on me. Shame on me. Shame on some of us that we will yell and scream at a box. Now, if you're watching by live stream and you're yelling amen at the TV right now, you're good. But for those of us that go home later and we shout and scream at a TV over a football game over people we don't even know, shame on us. That we have more passion for sports than we do for God. Pastor's going old school preaching today. Pastor, pastor's dipping into the old, old preaching today. If my team loses, I'm permitted to cry about it. I will never forget. I wasn't going to share this story till just now. My brother will be here next week. And if he's watching, he can refute this story. But it's true, so he really can't. The last time the Rams were in the Super Bowl, and I'm a, I'm a big Rams fan. I just don't show it out very much, but I love the Rams. I have loved them since they were in St. Louis before they moved back to L.A. I love the Rams, and I believe it was uh, the year either 1999 or 2000, the Rams were playing the Titans in the Super Bowl. And my brother was a Steve McNair fan, and he was a Titans fan. And my dad and I, we were Rams fan, and we were Team Kurt Warner because Kurt Warner was the underdog. They actually just made a movie about him. It's all, I believe this is the will of God that they made a movie about him and the Rams are in the Super Bowl and the Rams are going to win tonight. Anyway, it's all the will of God that it's happening. But we were sitting there and it was late Sunday night and this is the only Sunday night that our parents would let us stay up late was to watch the Super Bowl. We would record it because we had Sunday night church back then. We'd record it. We'd get home and we'd watch it all the way. We'd usually get home about halftime. We never watched the halftime show. But we'd get up to about the halftime show and then we would catch it live. And my dad would let us stay up late. Well, that night they were coming. It was the last few seconds. It was about three seconds left. In the last play of the game, they gave the ball off to their running back. The Titans did. And the Rams were up by one touchdown. And that guy was running. He was running. He was running. And at the, la- the one-yard line, the Rams made the tackle on 
on the Titans and the clock ran out and the Rams won the Super Bowl and I have never seen my brother upset more in his life than that moment. He jumped off that couch and started screaming and crying and yelling at the TV. He made it! His knee didn't touch! He was yelling just hollering and screaming. I mean, acting like just an all-out fanatic fool. And my dad and I are on the side going, Yeah, we won! I mean, we're all excited. It's okay for us to cry when our team loses. It's okay for us to go nuts and run out in the streets and... If you were in East Lansing, when MSU wins anything, they go and burn cars. I mean, it's okay to do that. All the MSU fans in here are like, yeah, you're right. Okay, so we can be fanatical about anything but God. Because the people will say, man, they're a real fan. They are a fan. But if I do that in church, they're going to go, wow, they are a religious fanatic. They need help. You know, you can be okay with God, just don't, don't get too emotional about it. Anything else is okay, but not about God. But who has done the most for us in this world? It's, to me, listen, I've met plenty of, of sports figures, and, and I've met plenty of politicians. I've met the greatest, the famous, I've met them all. But chocolate and steam and presidents and, 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 and sports teams and the Rams or the Bengals, none of them have done for me what God can do for me. So I'm telling you, I'm telling you, who is it that woke you up this morning? It was God that woke you up this morning. It wasn't, it wasn't the smell of coffee, over, although some of you say, I don't get out of bed until coffee, or some of y'all have those cups that say, nope, not yet, almost there, okay, let's talk. I know some of y'all have those coffee mugs, but it was God that got you up out of bed to go get that coffee, or your spouse to go get it for you. It wasn't a needlepoint that woke you up this morning. Well, unless you went to bed needlepointing and you turned over and it, you know, got you. But it was God that woke you up. David said in Psalms 120, In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and He heard me. We were telling our kids this morning, we were talking about some things, and we said, you know, what do you do when you have an emergency? Jace, our youngest right now, is... is Everything he can to try to get us to get him a phone for his next birthday. His next birthday, he will be nine years old and he thinks that he needs a phone at nine years old. He said, well, you gave Juliana a phone at ten. And I said, yeah, that I, but you know, that's, that's my baby girl. And he goes, well, you gave Jackson one when he was twelve. I go, okay, well, he was preteen. Wait, twelve and ten? Jace, what number does that leave you? Eleven? I guess eleven, you'll get a phone. And he goes, that's three years from now, I can't wait that long. I said, Jace, why can't you wait that long? Because I need a phone. Why do you need a phone? If I need to call you. I said, when are you never with me that you need to call me? Well, if I'm with Poppy and Yaya, they have phones. Well, well, if I'm with some, if I'm, if I'm with Aunt Jen or Aunt Michelle, or if I'm with, if I'm at the church and I go, they have phones, the church has, why would you be at the church by yourself? Why do you need a phone? I need a phone. no. No, you don't need a phone. You're good. And Jackson goes, well, we can put Life 360 on your iPod, Jace. And when you're in distress, you can push SOS and it'll come to all of our phones. So we started talking to them this morning about when you're in an emergency and if you can't reach mom and dad, who do you call? And so we started helping them figure out who you call. What do you do if you're home by yourself and for some reason and something happens? What happens? David here says in the Bible, he says, in my distress, I cried to the Lord and he heard me. 
There may be times when you try to call your pastor, you try to call your pastor's wife, or you try to call somebody in the church, and they won't hear you. But if you cry unto the Lord, David said, He heard me. He'll heal you too. He'll hear you as well. All these other things that we have in life, they're fun. They're entertaining. But they can't save you when you're lost and, or, or, or they can't heal you when you're sick. Neither can they deliver someone who's strung out on drugs or alcohol or heal a broken heart or restore a broken marriage. David had such a passion for God, he attained spiritual dimensions that would otherwise been impossible. David had such a tremendous passion to know God that it hurt. David said in Psalms 27 and 4, One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek. I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. Now technically some of David's actions would have demanded the death penalty. When you look at David throughout the Bible, you would say, now how was David a man after God's own heart? David, David, was, David was bad at some points in his life. David was a murderer. David was an adulterer. David was a liar. David was, and some of y'all in here going, hey, that's a man after my own heart. You know what that tells me? Even this guy right here can, man, I can slip on a banana peel and still know that, hey, I haven't murdered anybody, and David's still a man after God's own heart. I'm still a man after God's own heart. David lied about killing that, uh, you know, come on. David was a man after God's own heart. David had messed up some things here and there, and his actions would have demanded the, demanded the death penalty, if not directly by God, then the nation of Israel. The only explanation for God allowing David to make such offenses was to acknowledge that God was moved by his passion. Some of the most serious penalties for breaking the law were associated with Israel's form of worship in God's house. God destroyed two of Aaron's sons in the house of God for attempting to present an offering from the wrong source. And, and, and though a king, Uzziah, he was smitten with leprosy for clothing himself with an ephod and performing priestly duties in the temple. Belshazzar, the king of Babylon, did all manner of evil, including the enslavement of God's people. But his greatest offense was to demand that the golden vessels intended only for the priest to be used were to serve wine at his banquet. And that very night, a hand began writing on the wall before Belshazzar and his drunken guests. And the message was that his kingdom would be immediately removed and he was about to be killed. On three occasions, David did only what the priests were permitted to do. And one of which repeated over and over the entire time that he served as king. So the first occasion, the first was when David fled to the tabernacle. To ask, the, ask for the showbread or the bread of his presence to be given to him and his hungry men. From Matthew chapter 1, we can clearly understand that David descended from the tribe of Judah and he was not a Levite. Jesus said that David was, the on, was only lawful. What David did, it was only lawful for the Levites. Matthew 12 and 3 through 4, it says, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread. It was not lawful for them. It was only lawful for the Levites. David wasn't a Levite. However, David was not required to suffer the penalty demanded by the law. 
He worshipped God in a priest ephod when the Ark of the Covenant was transported into Jerusalem. Second Samuel, David danced before the Lord with all his might and he was wearing a linen ephod. The third instance, once repeated, often repeated after becoming king, was to worship before the Ark of the Covenant with no veil. This was so flagrant of a violation that only the high priest was allowed to offer a sacrifice to the Holy of Holies once a year. There can only be one explanation, though, for God permitting these violations by David. God allows those who have passion for him to draw much closer to him. Non-worshippers and those who have no passion must stay at a distance. The greater your passion is, the closer that he will draw you to himself. David said in in his 16th chapter, he said, You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. And at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Fullness of joy and the pleasure of knowing God can only be found in his presence. It's so important that if you can be in the house of God, you be in the house of God. I understand we have those that are watching by live stream and, and that's where you're comfortable at. But if you can make it in here... You need to be here. You need to be in his presence because in his presence is found fullness of joy. And this text also infers that the further away you are from him, really the less you know him. You know, it's hard to love a spouse from a distance. It's hard to build a relationship with someone from a distance. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When my wife and I started dating, we were about two and a half hours apart, maybe two hours apart, depending on traffic, however it was. And, uh, and so for the first six months of our, of our dating relationship, we, we tried the best that we could every other week. I would go over there or she'd come to Battle Creek. I'd go to Detroit, she'd come to Battle Creek. And we, would, we tried to make that work. But during, during the week, it was like, man, I, hey, baby, I miss you. I really, I, I wish that we were, I wish I could see you right now. I'm having a hard time. I want to be with you so bad. I just want to see your face. Can you, can you just send me a picture of your face? Can you? It was pitiful, y'all. But she loved me so much, and I would send her a picture of my face. You know, Now, that was me call, asking her, saying, please, just, I just want to see you. I miss you. I love you. I can't imagine people that date across the country. I'm like, man, I feel bad for y'all. Some of you, we never did that. You hang up first. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. I was like, all right, I love you. I'll see you later. Yeah, we told each other we loved each other. And I'd be like, all right, you hang up. She's like, all right. We didn't play that game. She's like, look, I ain't got time to play that game. I love you, but I got things to do. But that relationship, it it took work for us to, to try to be separated, to try to get to know each other. Our phone bills through the roof. Why? We were trying to get to know each other. And then we got engaged and, and we still lived a couple of hours apart. And then one day she just showed up at my door and I'm like, oh my goodness, the Lord has answered prayers. She didn't just show up at my door one day, but she got a job over there. She surprised us and, and she said, I'm here now. And I tell you what, from then on, it's been sm- not so smooth, but it's been good. Anybody that says that they've, they've been in marriage for however long they've been in marriage and they said, it's been smooth sailing for, well, you're doing something wrong. Because there's got to be conflict somewhere. 
you're going to have conflict with God sometimes in your life. If you're a Christian and everything is going smooth in your life, something's not right. Because there's going to be conflict at times. You look at David when he wrote the book of Psalms. Today, we would say, David, you need to go find a counselor. David, you need something to balance out your emotions. You are all over the place. One minute, David is mad with God. Can't stand God. How dare thee, God, my Savior. And then the next one, he's like, oh, precious Lord of mine. How I love thee. David was everywhere. Relationships, though, are built and they are strengthened the closer you get to one another. Your relationship with God cannot be at a distance. If you look at another illustration, an incredible temperature that you could look at would be of the sun. The temperature at the core of the sun, and for all my science friends in here, about to fact check me, get your phones out, but I know I'm right. The temperature of the sun is 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. At that temperature, nuclear fusion occurs. The surface of the sun is only, only 10 million degrees Fahrenheit. 17,000 cooler than at the core. The further you move away from the sun, the cooler the temperature. If you go to Venus, which is 67,240,000 miles away from the sun, the average surface temperature is 864 degrees. Now that's still hot. You travel another 25 million miles, you'll arrive here at planet Earth. We are 92,960,000 miles away from the sun and our average surface temperature is 57.2 degrees Fahrenheit. One degree closer to the sun, we would disintegrate. And one degree further, we would freeze. It's amazing how God just knows where to place you right when you got to be there. You look at Neptune, it is 2,798,000,000 miles away from the sun. But the average surface temperature is negative 361 degrees. In that distance of 2,798,000,000 miles, the temperature decrease, decreases 10 million degrees Fahrenheit to 361 degrees Fahrenheit. David learned, if I want to get warm with God, i got to stay close to the sun. i got to stay close. David wanted to stay near the sun. He said in Psalm 73, it is good for me to draw near to God. By staying so close, David learned how to make God his source. Early in life, David learned to trust God. David learned to trust God through adversity. Psalms 27 and 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? David recognized that fear can immobilize you. When all is going well, we learn nothing about trust. We can be immobilized by fear when everything in our life is going well. I've told you this a couple times. If the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Sometimes you're going to face some rocky mountains, but getting to the top, you're going to be blessed. There's a song that we used to sing in our choir years and years ago. Sister Connie, you may know that. Climbing up the mountain, trying to reach the top. Almost finished my battles. I've gone halfway and I just can't stop. At the end of the mountain there is faith and trust. I can see Jesus and that'll be us. I thank God I've almost reached the top. 
And then we can we would go back and, and y'all can go to YouTube and find this song and, and Pentecostal by Alexandria did. But then the choir broke out and the tenors would go climbing up the mountain, climbing up the mountain. And the altos were climbing up the mountain, trying to reach the top. Y'all are like, what are we doing? We're doing choir practice, okay? And then the sopranos would go, praise, 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 praise. You ought to praise sometime. Praise sometime. You ought to thank God sometime. You ought to jump sometime. You ought to leap sometime. Listen, climbing up the mountain is not going to be easy, but when we get to the top of the mountain, God is going to bless you more than you could ever imagine. We have got to get close. Only in adversity when you survive. What you know you shouldn't have, can you begin to really value God's faithfulness? No one wants to face a lion. Nobody wants to face a bear. But David took on both of them. Only after being challenged by a powerful enemy and experiencing God's deliverance, then could David go face a giant. If David would have faced the giant first, he wouldn't have known how to face a a lion or a bear. We don't even know if David would have made it past Goliath. But first, when David was a boy, he faced a lion, he faced a bear, took them both out. When he came up to Goliath and and, and, and all of his brothers were hiding and the whole army and all the children of Israel, they were all hiding. David walked out and he goes, what's the deal? He's just a giant. I got this, guys. Let me tell you, David was a, a, a small kid too. David was a teenager and he went out, got his smooth stones. You know, that's usually where we end the story in Sunday school. But my kids found out that there's, like Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. My kids found out that what David did after that, y'all know what he did? He drew that big old sword out from Goliath. He took Goliath's own sword and then chopped his head off with it. And I said, yep, he sure did. And Jace goes, you want to know what he did after that? I said, I already know, but do you know? He goes, oh, yeah. He took that sword. This is how sick my kids are. He took that sword and he plunged it right through his head and then he waved it all over to the Philistines and said, looky, looky, come and get me. I said, well, I think you're putting a little message version in there, dude. I don't think that's exactly what happened. But we stop at that one story or we stop it just there. But David wouldn't have killed Goliath had he not encountered a bear and a lion. By staying close to God and allowing Him to be his source, David learned that circumstances were no longer terrifying. Psalms 27, he continues. The Lord is my light and salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up of my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled, they fell. Though an army encamped against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. David's decision to seek God was not made while going when all was well and few problems were distracting him. He declared that his decision to seek God was in the midst of distractions when the enemy was attacked. How many of you have been there before? You've been in the midst of something crazy in your life, but you've seen your relationship with God just begin to flourish because you realize that He's the only one that can help you through it. Verse 2 explains what happens when the enemy attacks. When the enemy comes into your secret place, they will stumble, they will fall. Verse 3 talks about his confidence. Confident of what? Even if the army comes against me. He would not fear. 
David had been through so much, he knew that he could trust God for deliverance. I believe that David was the type of person that he would say, well, is what it is. Anybody here, you got that personality? Is what it is. That's a person to be scared of. They ain't scared of nothing. Is what it is. But I think when we serve a God, when something comes against us, we can go, you know what? It is what it is. It's God's will for me to go through this. Then it's God's will for me to go through this. As long as I hang on, as long as we get through it, everything's going to be fine. David had been through so much, he knew that he could trust God. He didn't imply that the army wasn't real or that it would eventually go away. He stated that even though the army remained, he would not submit to fear. By staying close to God and focusing on God rather than the problem of the enemy, David discovered that God would always take care of the outcome. Instead of telling God how big your mountain is, tell the mountain how big your God is. We have got to get out of the mindset of just, and and we say this, I do it, I take everything to the Lord in prayer. I believe that, but we have got to get to a point where we stop going to God and begging God to do things. And we say, you know what, God, thank you for the courage. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to say, hey, listen, by the authority of God, I command this to happen right now. What do you mean, pastor? Look, are you sick in your body? In the name of Jesus Christ, by the authority of his word, I claim healing in my body right now. I woke up on Thursday morning about midnight with the greatest pain that I've ever experienced in my life. My face was hurting. And some of you all go, I know, it's killing me right now. I know the joke. Okay. But my face was hurting. It was killing me. I got a high pain tolerance, but I woke up out of a dead sleep. I was crying. I was hurting. I went and grabbed some ibuprofen. I took some ibuprofen. I began to rub my face, and I just began to pray, God, please take care of this pain. I was trying everything. And finally, about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the morning, I couldn't stand it anymore. I went in. I woke up my wife, and I felt bad because I was waking my wife up in the middle of the night. And we have this thing that it's like, hey, once I go to sleep, don't wake me up. And I'm like, okay, cool. And so, but I go in. I'm like, okay, by faith, by Lord, I will fear no evil. I will fear no, I mean, uh, I will fear. No, I need my wife to pray for me. And I went in and I said, I said, Stephanie, Stephanie, she woke up. What is it? What is it? I said, my face. She grabbed me by the face and immediately began speaking in tongues and started crying. And I started crying and I started claiming and she started claiming by Jesus name. I claim healing right now over this issue, whatever it is that's going on in his jaw, whatever's going on in his cheeks. I claim healing right now. And I was up for a little while, but I don't got no pain this morning. Now, I did follow up. I did go to the dentist on Thursday. I said, I don't know what this was. They found it. They said, oh, we found it. We'll take care of it. We're going to help you out. But I tell you what, I wouldn't have survived through the night had I not went for prayer. But in the middle of that prayer, my wife spoke up. She said, by the authority of your word, Jesus, we claim healing right now. And we remove this pain right now. It's time that we stop begging and we start declaring. We've got to have a passion for this. For in the time of trouble, David said in verse 5, He shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me up on the rock. David said, when trouble arises, it causes me to draw closer to him, to the entrance of the secret place than any other time. That's where I need to be. Because the enemy can't touch you once you have entered into the secret place. Once you have entered into prayer with God, once you have entered into a relationship with God, the enemy can try. 
Temptation is not a sin, but giving in is. Temptation is not a sin. And I think too many times preachers have gotten up and, and they've talked about temptation as a sin and, and thou shalt not be tempted and all this. Listen, when you walk by Baker's Rhapsody and you just smell the goodness that's coming out that door of baked goods, temptation, when you are trying to avoid all that sugary goodness, it's okay to be tempted. Then you walk on down the street of downtown Dwajek and you come up to Caruso's Candy Kitchen and you smell the goodness that's coming out of there and then Sailor's Pizza and then going down to the Chinese restaurant. I mean, come on. Somebody, when you're on a diet, it's hard to walk downtown Dwajek. But it's the temptation when it leads you right in. I say, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, forgive me. I just... When you're tempted by things of the devil, whether it's a drink or whether it's, a, or, or, or whether it's an adulterous affair or whether it's something clicking on something that you shouldn't click on or swiping to something you shouldn't swipe on, temptation is there, but it's when you give in that's the sin. David said, if I can get into his secret place, the enemy cannot touch me. When you have a stronger relationship with God than you do with your phone, the enemy cannot touch you. When you have a stronger relationship with God than you do with those that are out of church, the enemy cannot touch you. When you have a stronger relationship with God and with your spouse than you do with those who aren't your spouse, the enemy cannot touch you. He says, now, And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. So what would David do when confronted by a frightening situation? Would David then begin to worry about what's about to happen? Drift out into a cold and barren place? Nope. David determined to worship God at that moment. My head will be lifted up above my enemies, and I will worship. I will stay close. He said, therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. I just told you a moment ago about temptation, not a sin, but giving in is a sin. You know the worst sin for Christians is not adultery. The worst sin for Christians is not murder. It's not some kind of sexual perversion. But God tells us in Revelation 3, He says, the greatest sin is lukewarmness. He says, you're neither hot nor you're cold. I might as well spit you on out of my mouth. He said, when you have no passion, that is the greatest sin. When you can't make up your mind if you're this way or this way, that is the greatest of sin. And you may say, well, God is just one of the things in my life. And I have my social life, I have my career, I have my family life, and over here's a little piece of the pie, and, and this over here's a piece of the pie, and over here's a little piece of the pie called church. And, and God, I, I, I mean, to me, God just says, how dare you? I don't know what he says to you, but to me, he said, how dare you? I love you this much, I went and died on a cross for you. I shed my blood for you. I love you passionately. I made you. I created you. And you would treat me with just a half-hearted indifference and by saying, I'm sorry, God, I can't come today. I've, I've got this and this and this going on. God, I can't pray this morning. I'm just too tired. God, I can't do this. i got this going on in my life. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what, what you have in your life. I've tried doing my devotions at different times of the day, and, and, and I tried first thing in the morning, but, you know, that was an issue. For, I'm just going to be honest with you here, okay? Can I be open with you all this morning, transparent? 
I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I think, man, that's the perfect time. It's quiet. I'm going to do my devotion. But I struggle doing my devotion that early in the morning because I want to go back to bed. When you wake up before God does, because God wakes up when the sun comes up. The sun rises when God rises. That's when God wakes up, right? Am I the only one that has that philosophy? Okay, all right. No, God is always awake. I know, I'm just kidding with you this morning. But I thought, I'm going to do my devotion first thing in the morning when I'm not distracted, i got nothing else going on, but I can't keep my eyes open. So I thought, you know what, I'll do my devotion in the middle of my bus route. When I'm, not while I'm driving, but in between routes. I, you know, i got time there, I'm going to do it then. But i got to fuel up my bus, or i got to wash my windows on my bus, or i got to do this, or i got to do this. Don't have time to do it then. You know what, I'm going to do it in the daytime. And uh, when I get to the church, I'll get in my office, I'll do it then. But I get over here, and i got something else i got to do. i got this i got to do. i got to go over here and do this. Nope, can't do it. I'm going to do it at lunchtime. And I'm going to take my lunch break, and I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to read my Bible, I'm going to do my devotion. Nope, not going to work because I'm running on go, and i got to get lunch on the go. Anybody know what I'm talking about today? Can I just, we've all been there. Now, if you're perfect and you have your set time every day, please tell me how you do it. But there's days that I struggle to get things done for God, to get my prayer life going, to get my devotion going. I'm just human. I'm human. I'm trying to get my life in order. I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do. And when I start, I sit down at the end of the day and I I think back over my day of what my days consisted of and we pray at night. Thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you for keeping us throughout the day. Thank you for bringing us home together. I then begin to think about all the opportunities that I missed throughout the day. You see, we make time for what we want to make time for. You've heard me talk to you about that. We we have time for what we want to make time for. And if we have a true passion for God, we will make time. Pastor, are you saying that you don't have a passion for God? I do, and I'm really trying every day. I try and I try and I try and I make that sound like worse than it is. I do my devotion every day the best that I can, but there's days I miss. There's days that I miss a devotion and God says, hey, don't forget about me over here. Because see, if I forget about him one day, it's easy to forget about him two days. And if I forget about him two days, it's easy to forget about him four days and then eight days and then, anybody know what's next? Nine days. Some of y'all were going 16 days. It's easy to forget about God if you forget one time. We've got to do our best to live the life that God has called us to live. Jesus says, I'd rather have you be hot or cold. He said, your lukewarmness makes me sick to my stomach. C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, the only thing Christianity cannot be is moderately important. Moderately important. If Jesus is God and he died and loved you that much, you owe him the rest of your life. You owe him every spare minute of it. If God didn't do that for you, then you can go on home and you can live your self-centered life. But if God woke you up this morning, if God gave you a testimony that you're not the person that you used to be, or maybe maybe this is where you're at, and this is kind of where you're trying to get to. You're not where you want to be, but you're trying to get there. You know, that's, that's okay. God still is here for you. God is saying, listen, just keep coming. Keep coming. 
keep coming my way. See, what happens so many times is we get over here and we'll get upset because of one thing or another and we'll come in and we don't want to worship. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, she looked at me funny. They looked at me weird. They didn't visit me. They haven't called me. They haven't talked to me. So we get offended with one another. That's what we've been talking about on Wednesday nights. If you missed any of the bait of Satan, you need to go back and watch those. But, but I'm telling you, we have got to focus on God. When we come into his house, we owe it to him. We owe it to him more than anything to come in and to worship him with everything that we've got because he gave us life. The only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It deserves our everything. God deserves everything that we can give him. So as we stand today and I ask you today to make another commitment this week to God, I ask you, how is your passion for God? Are you lukewarm? Are you just going through the motions? Are you here today because this is what you've done for the last 60 years? You've just come to church every Sunday. Is this what you're doing and you're in the motions? Has there ever been a time in your life where you were closer to God than you are right now? Nobody is holding you back today from your call with God and nobody's holding you back from your passion for God. The truth is, is that you are as close to God as you want to be. And so I ask you today if you'll come to this altar and make a commitment once again to Christ and be as passionate about God as you can be. Be as passionate about church as you can be because that's the only thing in life that will matter. Your hobbies, they're great. They're awesome. Your job, we need it. But it doesn't matter when everything is all set and done in life because when everything's over and we leave this world, we have one thing that matters. And it's whether or not when we make it to heaven, when God opens, because everybody goes to heaven. Everybody will go to heaven, but not everybody will walk through the gates. Everybody will walk into the throne room of God when he says, when he sits at the judgment and he looks and he says, you don't even know me. You can turn away from me. Oh, church, I pray today that we would get our life right. Because I don't want there to come a day when we walk into those heaven, into heaven and we try to get into those gates and God says, I'm sorry, but you're not on the list. Your name's not in my book. I didn't even know you, so you need to turn from me. Church, if that's where you're at today, this altar is open for you. And if you don't feel comfortable coming here right where you're at, I pray that you would make a commitment to God right now to say, God, I'm sorry for everything I've done in my life that's not pleasing. I'm sorry for not living a life that's holy and acceptable and pleasing to you. But God, I want to live my life that's passionate for you. I want to live a life that is full of abundance of love for you. If that's you today, I'll open this altar for you. Or right where you're at, make that commitment to God. Come on, I invite you to come or I invite you just to begin to worship right where you're at. Hallelujah.